0: Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. This is Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, joined as usual by Aaron McFarlane, the columnist for the Roanoke Times. Uh, Aaron, we are into April, and we are still talking about football because that's what we do on this podcast. The Hokies. Uh, moving into their third week now of spring football, and it's you know sort of getting serious, doing some more situational type stuff and more stuff that resembles football instead of, as, as Justin Fuente said, running around in pajamas uh, the first couple of weeks. We're going to talk a little bit about football, uh, do a little bit of spring sports stuff, just a general talk about how excited we are about certain events going on uh, in the sporting world later in this. Uh, But we're going to start with the the big news this week. It's that Justin Fuente got a two year contract extension uh, through 2023. Uh, A little minor pay bump in there, nothing too big. Uh, Aaron, uh, I was curious your thoughts when you first heard that Virginia Tech was extending Justin Fuente after one year.
1: Yeah, not totally surprised by any means. And he did a similar thing with Buzz Williams last year. And, uh, you know, I I, I wrote a little blog about it. It seems like that's his. That's Whit Babcock's mo. You know when you, he he compares hiring the hiring process to speed dating. You know you're just doing the best you can to learn as much as you can about the candidates while while you have the chance. And then once you once you realize that, that this is the one, uh, once you've had a year with them and 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 see what how they operate, how they get along with the rest of, of the uh, athletic community, and you know what the fan response is, and all that stuff. Uh, he makes a move to, to put a ring on it, so to speak. And that's what he did here. I mean, maybe some would say, you know, take a wait-to-see approach, I've heard some people say, well, you know, look what happened with Al Grow at, at UVA when you lock these guys in too long after a good season, who knows. Uh, but I think that's sort of the nature of the beast now, right? I mean, you've got you've to gotta lock them up so they feel appreciated and they don't start putting their head on a swivel and looking for other opportunities. I think what they certainly feel is appreciated by his boss and, Uh, you know, I think he felt that way before the extension and he certainly feels that way afterwards.
0: Yeah. I I think, uh, you know, you look at some of the bad contract extensions that have come in the past. And I think two that immediately come to mind are Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame is one that people point to And and locally a different sport. I think people point at the Pete Gillen one. Uh, Both of those were 10 year contracts uh, when they were handed out. This isn't anywhere near that. This is a seven year contract. Uh, if, if you want to compare it to his original, it was a six-year contract. So really, they added one year. I know it's a two-year extension, but he already went through uh, one year of his contract this year. Uh, there's not really a bigger money commitment. It, it's a minor money commitment. It, his uh, pay escalates a little bit quicker than it had in the past. But uh, this upcoming season, it's the same amount as it was would have been under his old contract. Uh, by 2023, I think he's making $4 million a year. Whereas in the previous one, I think by 2018 or 2019, he would have or uh, 2021, he would have been making three point nine million or something like that. So uh, it escalates a little bit quicker. Uh, It gets to that four million dollar mark eventually. But, you know, I went back to look at those Weiss and those Gillen contracts. Charlie Weiss, after seven games in 2005, they were five and two, had lost to uh, Michigan State in overtime. Uh, lost to USC on the, the Reggie Bush push, that game in Notre Dame. They bumped his salary from a six-year deal for $2 million a year originally to a 10-year deal for 3 to $4 million a year. I mean, they, they practically doubled the amount of money that they were giving him. Uh, Pete Gillen, they doubled the amount of money they were giving him. So I, I think there's sort of a difference here in the fact that uh, this isn't some – Huge additional financial commitment that they're making to fuente here it's it's maybe more symbolic than anything adding those two years to the end of the contract. Uh, I think Fuente got may, maybe some better money some better deals for his assistance I'm still waiting for the open records request to be fulfilled uh, to see the exact language of the contract but uh, it, it seems like it, this is more of a big deal just from uh virginia tech announcing that it's committing a little bit more a little bit longer to fuente than saying this is our guy we're going to pay him uh you know eight million dollars a year or something like that
1: yeah nothing i saw in those contract details you know screamed wow this is overboard you know this is this is crazy uh what if it doesn't work out i mean none of those thoughts really occurred to me when i read uh what they were giving him uh charlie wise thing i you know, Notre Dame sort of operates in a different stratosphere than, than the rest of the world, and and so when uh, crazy money gets thrown around there, I you know I, I don't know how much of a, an eyebrow it actually raises at the time when it's thrown around. Of course, you look back on it, you say that was ridiculous to to give a guy that had not been a head coach, you know, that long uh, that kind of money. But they I mean, I, you know, they 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 stepped up when they hired him and they paid him a very competitive. Uh, salary and, and they 're going to continue to do that with a little bit of a bump, and I think that 's all uh, very reasonable i don 't think any of it uh, deserves too much scrutiny i think it 's uh, you know at this point, and even uh, you know two or three years from now i think you 'll be looking at that saying that was a you know a sound business decision
0: yeah, the other part of it it doesn 't change his buyout any uh, His buyout figures are the, the, the same as they were before i mean obviously there are two additional ones because there are two additional years in the contract, but those are pretty. Uh, relatively insignificant sums of money. Uh, I mean, the bigger thing of this is if you get three or four years into this contract, it's going to get renegotiated anyway. I mean, that's the way these football contracts work. You either do well enough to go on to the next job, do well enough to earn a, a, a contract extension with better terms at your current place, or do poorly enough that they get rid of you. I mean, nobody ever, nobody ever gets to year four or five and they're like, well, I I have one year left of my contract. I'm going to play it out and see how it goes." No, there's never a, a you know, a lame duck or a dead coach walking type of situation where uh, you, you can't give that signal to recruits that this isn't the guy for the next four years. It would just devastate your recruiting or uh, you can't go into a season with that sort of uncertainty, or at least that's not how these colleges operate uh, when they're doing this kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you look at the, what he's going to be making in 2020 and 2021. I'll be honest, I think by the time that happens, you'll either have heard him uh, in conversations with another job because that's just how it goes because he's doing so well, or Virginia Tech will talk to him again and, and re-up his deal and redo his deal to to get him to stay here. So well, that, let's, that's let's, why these things are kind of, you know, the, oh, seven year through 2023. It's like, he's never going to, this contract will not be binding in 2023. It'll be something new or he'll be somewhere
1: else. I would imagine. Let's, let's jump on that, that line you just threw in there. That maybe, you know a couple of years from now it's possible. He could be looking for another job because he's doing so well. What do you think the odds are that the Fuente would ever want to leave Virginia tech? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it seems like a perfect fit right now. Everybody's happy with everybody. Uh, The the success is there, Uh, you know, you know, exceeded expectations, I think in year one, but uh, I mean, do you you think there are other jobs out there that he would look at uh, potentially down the road and say, uh, I'd rather have that than the Virginia Tech job? Well,
0: I think the one that you would look at would be Oklahoma. I mean, that's where he's from. That's where he went originally, even though he didn't have the best college experience when he was there, ended up transferring out, uh Oklahoma's got a pretty good coach right now in Bob Stoops. Uh, and Bob Stoops isn't necessarily that old. I think he's mid-50s. Uh, still has a lot of coaching left in him, I, w- I would think. Uh, so there's always sort of that, you know, mama called type deal. Like, oh, I'm coming home. Uh, you know, this is where I'm from. I think you know, a lot of the assistant coaches uh, on Virginia Tech are from that area as well. So that could probably be easy to convince a lot of those guys to go in that direction. Uh, but, you know, from what I've gathered from Fuente, he really likes the situation at Virginia Tech. I mean, he had opportunities other than Virginia Tech in, in the uh, the job search process last year. I bet you he probably could have been the South Carolina coach if he wanted to. Uh, maybe he could have even commanded a little bit higher salary there just because they have the SEC money that they can pay. Uh, I don't think he really liked the whole SEC uh dog eat dog kind of world i mean that that's what it is if you're uh you could be a four million dollar coach and still be on the hot seat if you have one mediocre season there that's less the case in blacksburg i I think he likes the uh sort of small town feel of blacksburg. I think that fits his his lifestyle and his family's lifestyle. He's got three young kids who are growing up, so I wouldn't imagine that he's uh all too eager to be a job hopper and go from location to location uh granted this could all be just me reading way too much in this situation so you can never tell with this stuff but you know i would say that right now he he likes virginia tech quite a bit and uh, would for the foreseeable future here
1: yeah i agree i I just wanted to scare the fans a little bit there with that but well he doesn't seem like
0: somebody that's motivated by like oh i need to be paid five million dollars a year and quite honestly, if you're getting paid three and a half or 3.25, whatever he's getting paid in Blacksburg, you can live like a king in Blacksburg. I mean, it's not like you're living in New York City with this money or something like that. This is Southwest Virginia. Uh, that that money will go a very, very
1: long ways here. His money goes a long way in Blacksburg when he has to spend it. Because a lot of times, uh, I'm sure he gets his meals taken care of by uh, fans or by the restaurants themselves or anybody else who appreciates all he's done. That's another factor, you know, how long with Bud Foster. Be his right hand man here in Blacksburg, and would that ever, uh, you know, be an you know an influence on his decision? You know, if you if you lose your defensive coordinator, and, uh, and suddenly you've uh, you know an institution in Virginia Tech is, is no longer here, uh, maybe some other jobs become a little more attractive than this, than they are now. Uh, okay, I'm going to actually take over this uh, sort of the MCing role now, even though we're, we're kind of doing this over the phone because of uh, I've been. Uh, dealing with uh, baseball and hockey and I also haven't had my a chance to really stick my nose into the program that much, uh, this week. And so I'm going to let you sort of, uh, kind of riff on these, these topics that we've got. Uh, one thing, I mean, that you've gotten a rundown on the receiving core, a little bit more information about where those guys are and, and where they stand in terms of the competition. Can you give us uh, an idea of, what uh, what the, what the receiving core looking like right now? Yeah,
0: I, I think it's a developing group. Uh, you get past Cam Phillips and there's a ton of question marks in that receiving core. Uh, we had Holman Wiggins, the receivers coach, talk to us this week. Fuente talked to us a little bit. Uh, it sounds like there's some encouraging signs there. I think Eric Kuma was a name that came up a couple times uh, as an outside receiver stepping up. He's a sophomore, bigger guy. I think he's about 6'2", uh, 6'3", perhaps, somewhere in that range uh, you know, Fuente talked a little bit about, and Wiggins talked about the fact that he would go up and make plays on the ball, which is something you saw Ford and Hodges do last year. And I mean, think about how many times they, they bailed out a play just by making a play on a 50, 50 ball in the air. Uh, I mean, essentially the entire Pittsburgh game <laughs> that was their whole offense was <laughs> right. To throw the ball up there and see if they, they can go up and win a battle. So, uh you have Cam Phillips who can still do that but you got to have some other guys cuz I don't think CJ Carroll at 5 foot 7 or whatever he is is going to go win many 50-50 balls like that. So I I think Kuma's is a guy that can do that. I think Phil Patterson uh is another one on the outside who they've been very pleased with. Uh, sounds like they almost played him last year after Isaiah got hurt in that North Carolina game. Uh, traveled him for about half the season, but still kept the red shirt on him. Uh, Kuma played a little bit. So I mean, those are two guys, 2016 signees that are in their second year in the program that uh, really their first year in the program, they got here in the summer. So they haven't even finished a full year at Virginia tech yet, That you're going to be asking to step into to pretty big roles here. Uh, I think they have some slot guys. Uh, Khalil Pimpleton is one that we've talked about here on the podcast a couple of times. And I, th- I think mostly just cause I like saying his name over and over it's a really, well, that's
1: the reason I asked. That's the reason I asked the question. I really wanted a pimple to update. That's that's where I was going with that. But yeah, go on.
0: Uh, it sounds like he is uh, starting to kind of show the things that they saw on the recruiting uh, side of things. That he's a shi- uh, shifty, quick guy that can uh, make moves in the slot and is a kind of a tough guy to get your hands on. I think, and you have to be. He's only five eight, one hundred fifty five pounds, and you look at those measurables and you go, "Is this guy really going to hold up at this level?" But uh, it's kind of those deals you have to catch him first before you can tackle him and, and hurt him at all. Uh, so that that's sort of the the thing that he brings to the game. And uh, I think you know Brad Cornelson on signing day talking about him, he was really excited about his his playmaking ability and his missability, uh making guys miss on the field. Uh, you know Virginia Tech didn't really have that last year. I would, I would not call Bucky Hodges that by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I wouldn't call Isaiah Ford this sort of elusive playmaking guy. I mean, he got open and made plays, but it wasn't like uh, get the ball to him on a jet sweep or a, a quick screen and he'll make the rest happen. I, I think Pimpleton is somebody who might have that ability uh, going ahead. Uh, beyond that, you know, Sam Denmark sounds like he's doing a little bit more. He was a guy that uh speed guy who came in and really had the red shirt and, and sort of learned football a little bit more before he could contribute uh, Henry Murphy, it sounds like he injured himself. I'm not sure exactly what they're very cryptic and mysterious about injuries there, but uh, it doesn't sound like he's doing much at practice right now, but I would imagine he's going to be in the mix. Uh, they got a, a graduate transfer. They're expecting to come in the summer. James Clark uh, from Ohio state who has been injured a lot, uh, kind of nicked up throughout his career, but he was a four-star guy in high school who's, who's, who's got some speed. So we'll see if he can fit to the mix, but they're they're trying to get, Past, uh, you know, having three or four guys, I I think Wiggins said at Memphis they had seven or eight that they would rotate into the game and kind of rely on. And uh, obviously when you have a talent that's uh, Ford, Hodges, and and Phillips that are so far and away better than the rest of the crew, you lean on those guys heavily. But uh, removing two of those guys from the equation, I think it's going to be much more of a group effort this year and a lot more guys chipping in.
1: Yeah, I think by the time the spring game rolls around, uh, there there will be a lot of interest in what Templeton does from everyone who looks to this podcast because I, I've sort of adopted him as my guy to watch, even though I've never met him. Who would be the last? I mean, I'm looking at the all-time receivers at Virginia Tech. I'm trying to think of who the last you know really elusive guy would be. Maybe Eddie Royal in 2007. I mean, it's been yeah, a I'd, while.
0: I'd say Royal. I mean, it, the way that yeah. they talk about it. I'm trying to think of somebody – in between there. I mean, it's not like Boykin and Cole were like that. Marcus Davis wasn't like that. Corey Fuller wasn't like, I mean, none of the guys recently have had that sort of uh, playmaking ability. And that was the one thing that everybody said about Eddie Royal was that his highlight tape was just, you know, kind of blew your mind when you saw it in high school. That's how many plays he was making.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Well, the guys that are throwing the ball to those receiver Obviously, we always want updates on them. You get they're getting a little bit uh, more situational work in Blacksburg now with the quarterbacks. Uh, how much are they? Have they been able to glean from from sort of getting out of the pajamas and into the pads?
0: You know, more. I think. I mean, Fuente's not tipping his hand. Uh, he never talks specifics about quarterbacks. We haven't had a chance to talk to them. I'm hoping we will here before the end of the spring. Uh, But they are moving more past the, you know, sort of base offense type stuff and the situational work. And I I think that's really where you see separation on the quarterbacks or start to see some uh, because that's where the the knowledge of the game comes into play. And, you know, what are you doing on third and eight in the red zone when you're up by 10 points? I mean, you have to be smart in that situation. You don't force a pass. You you take the field goal if it's there and and just have to, to throw the play away. Uh, I think you see uh, a veteran sort of savvy quarterback knows that in that situation, whereas a younger guy who hasn't seen those reps or thinks he has to make the home run play on every single snap – Uh, might struggle in that situation I'm generalizing here I'm not talking specifically about the situation that Virginia Tech has because you know honestly I haven't seen any of them the quarterbacks play there but you know just based on history that's sort of the uh, the growth process of quarterbacks is the older you get the more you understand those situations and go you know an incomplete pass here is not the worst play that you could have so uh, I I think that this will be a time where maybe you can start to see a little bit of separation. The the, the uh, coaches might, even though I don't think they're going to name a starter or an order at the end of the spring. I think they'll get a better I- idea of who's going to be uh, potentially someone in in the fall that they can trust to put on the field and make the right
1: decisions. Yeah, well, moving to the other side of the ball, Brandon Faith, and uh, you pointed this out before we went on air here, but 32 straight games without an interception. And when you think about his freshman year and how many picks he was getting in. Uh, It looked like he might have a chance to set a record at Virginia Tech for interceptions or lead the country in interceptions or something like that. Where is, I mean, we know he's dealt with injury after injury and he's decided to come back this year. Uh, Have you had a chance to talk with Brandon? What do you think uh, of his uh, 2017 season? What would that look like?
0: We did talk to him. We talked to him this week. Uh, It's interesting. He has been hurt the last three springs with either some sort of foot or knee or leg. I mean, he's had something that's kept him out of most of spring drills the last three years, which is kind of astounding when you think about it. Uh, he just is, is, never really sort of had that continuity and continued to carry stuff over from the season into the spring, to the summer, into the fall. So uh, I think this spring will be big for him. Just the fact that he decided to return to Virginia tech probably could have gone pro. And uh, you know, I think I saw some fourth or fifth round projections on him, uh, potentially down the line. Uh, he decided to come back. That's a big boost for the secondary. It, it allows Virginia Tech to sort of do that three cornerback rotation again that it was Stroman and Alexander. But, uh, you know, I, I think if he can continue his development to kind of keep things going from where he was last season, he can have a very strong senior year. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the interceptionless streak. Uh, yeah, I, I think it kind of bothers him. And now I asked the question. I didn't mean it to be insulting. I think maybe he sort of took offense at it uh, when I said it. Uh, honestly, he's been their best cornerback or their most consistent cornerback when he's been healthy the last couple years. So uh, the fact that he doesn't have an interception is kind of strange because, I mean, he did have four in like the first month when he got on campus here. He had two in that East Carolina game, I think it was. Uh, really, it was Kendall Fuller's equal uh, when they first got here on campus. And, you know, he had the most passes defended, I think, on the team last year. And I think the year before that as well, uh, and to not have an interception with that, I, I have to feel some of that is just sort of luck, or some of that is uh, you know just the way interceptions go. Sometimes a ball gets deflected right to you, or sometimes uh, you're not expecting it, it hitting the hands. Um, he was sort of lamenting a couple that he didn't have against Liberty last year, uh, so I, I think it maybe bothers him to a certain degree. But I think he I think he knows that he's a better cornerback than he was you know four years ago as a true freshman when he was here uh sometimes the interceptions are just sort of weird things and they happen in bunches and uh, for him he's had a little bit of a drought here
1: but yeah I'm surprised that uh that, that Brandon Faison has actually played 32 games since his last interception it seems like every time we talk to him it's about you know how how his injury x or injury y I and mean, he's, I guess he's managed to get himself on the field a lot uh despite uh, all those nicks and, and bruises right
0: he's played 42 career games at Virginia Tech uh, he had those three in 2014 before they shut him down. He got the medical red shirt, uh, played all 14 last year and started all 14 for the first time in his career last year. So, you know, I, I would have to think from his perspective, that that's a good sign going forward that maybe he's finally put those
1: injury woes behind him. so well, you know, I'm fired up about this West Virginia series. I've, I've been wanting this series to return forever Uh, And they are opening the season against West Virginia at FedEx Field. There has been a change in the date, though, and a change in the day of the week. So uh, tell us about that, uh, and how might that affect uh, fans that want to go to that game?
0: They have moved it from a Saturday, which was a very very crowded day in the college football landscape, to Sunday night. uh, That's Sunday night right before Labor Day, 7.30 start, I believe, uh, at FedEx Field. The only other game that night or that day is UCLA-Texas A&M, which also moved their game back a day, uh, that game being played at the Rose Bowl. So this is sort of a better uh, TV window for them, sort of gives them a showcase, uh, just them and, and one other game on TV. And I, I would imagine a lot of people on the East Coast, at least, would be much more interested in the Virginia Tech-West Virginia game uh, going on, certainly uh, within the state here. Uh, I didn't think much of it because it's a Labor Day weekend, and you know I work on Labor Day weekends anyway because I cover the football team. <laughs> Whenever they're playing, I'm going to be covering the game, and sometimes it's been on Labor Day itself. So you know it, it doesn't really affect me at all or anything like that. I could see how it could be a nuisance to some people that now this game is smack dab in the middle of their Labor Day weekend and uh, maybe have to alter plans uh to, to to what you're gonna do and you know when you're gonna barbecue and stuff like that. But I think the biggest uh nuisance in this whole thing is probably for the students. Uh I I just looked this up, I didn't realize this until somebody pointed this out, is that they have class on Labor Day. They they don't get that day off. I just kind of assumed that everybody had that day off, but they don't. Uh so now if you're a student trying to go to this game and it's a seven thirty start and you're not getting out of there until midnight and then you know dc traffic uh, will be terrible getting out of there. i mean you wouldn't be, get back to blacksburg until like 4 a.m or something like that uh even if you're hauling down down the road uh I, I, I think that's kind of a raw deal for some of the students that want to go up there uh the fact that they probably take one of their best games on the schedule and move it out of lane stadium to begin with uh, I, I think Virginia Tech's considered the home team in this game. I, I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at that. But you know, one one of the marquee games they have on the schedule that uh, I think a lot of students would like to go to, and the fact that they complicate the matters for them like this, uh, I guess in the long run, I think it's a very justified reason for them to skip class on that Monday. I would
1: think so, and also I think that you know, at the colleges they they have a ton of breaks, right? I mean, kids get a ton of breaks all the time. Why don't you Peel one day off a of spring break, or peel one day off your winter break, or whatever break. I think the professors would like to have Labor Day off too, so they could do something in the fall that uh, they wouldn't normally get to do. But anyway, well, I mean that, that game is, is, you know, I mean I'm more, I'm more excited about that than I am Ohio State. I mean I, I know that sounds crazy, but you know that the sounds crazy. I would state. not agree with yeah. that i uh, i just I just think I like, think the rivalry was fantastic, and I know some fans had some issues um you know and there were some complaints to former you know to the late jim Weaver about uh you know fans and things like that and travel and all that but i i just I always felt the juice man every time every time you were either in Morgantown or in Blacksburg for one of those games it was it had plenty of juice and i i can uh, i I think FedEx feels kind of antiseptic but uh it'll still it'll still feel really big when we go to that
0: game. Maybe that's the way they need to reintroduce this rivalry was to put it at a place that's uh, neutral and, you know, sort of, uh, like you said, antiseptic just because it, it sort of did get toxic. I think there by the end of the rivalry previously, you're just a, a little bit too worked up. Uh, maybe this is a good way for the fan bases to meet on uh, neutral ground and sort of reacquaint themselves with each other. And then a couple years later, they can go back to the home and homes.
1: Yeah, I mean they're two are two teams with with sort of SEC like rabid following for Virginia. That's, that's all you see is the West Virginia flags. you know the people there care deeply about their program, and of course the people around here care deeply about Tech. So uh, just the passion and the fact that both teams should be pretty good, you know, fringe top twenty five type of teams next year. That's uh, that's exciting. Uh, I, I look forward to asking questions about that, and maybe even going up to Morgantown and and uh, getting some, getting some color up there in the weeks ahead of the game. That that could be good too. So, uh, all right, well, you had some, you wanted to do our little, uh, our game show here. Uh, Yeah. Let's
0: uh, let's get away from football here. we're having some audio issues on this that I'll have to edit out later. So we'll see how uh, (laughs) how smoothly this whole thing goes. Uh, You know, it's a big time of year for sports, spring sports, starting things like that. A lot of things going on. This is a, America's fastest rising game. How excited are you? And I'm going to ask you, how excited are you about these events going on to the spring in the last week? Uh, Obviously the masters starts today, Aaron, I know you're a big golf guy. So tell me how excited on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you for the masters?
1: (laughs) This is like juice or no juice a little bit. It's kind of a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not as definitive as juice or no juice, I think, but uh, I will say, Six, You know, and then, look, people are going to listen to that and say, man, what, what kind of sports fan are you if you're not at least a nine? But I, I, I in my situation, I, I'm actually traveling uh, to Bush Gardens this weekend. So I, I may not get to see some of the biggest shots of the Masters. I may not get to see any of Saturday. And on Sunday, I might be traveling when some of the biggest shots are hit.
0: I would give the Masters a 10, I think. I am. So, I am a big golf fan. Uh, I'm the one who complains on Twitter every year. I think if you go back through my Twitter account, you can see me complaining about the fact that the Masters is not televised in the early portion of Thursday and Friday. Like, all I want to do is just watch them play the Masters. They won't put it on TV during this time. Like, I know you can go online and find that stuff. I just I just want to watch it on my big TV. That's why I got a big TV, uh, is to watch it up there. Um, I'm the kind of person that will sit there and watch, like, all six hours of the final rounds coverage, you know, front to back. Uh, I got to go there for a practice round a couple of years ago, which was really cool. And I think uh, the fact that I've seen the holes up close now, now you walk around and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that one. Oh, I remember that one. And it goes like that. Uh, I, I think that makes the masters a little bit cooler, at, at least from my perspective.
1: Well, I, I think for the last six or seven years on my Thursday blog, it said the same thing you have, because I'll open the paper and I'll look at the TV listings and, you know, three o'clock masters coverage. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? I can't, I can't watch the whole thing, and you know, I can't have it while I'm doing my work uh, during the rest of the day. Uh, I think that's part of the allure, though. Um, so when you do get the full coverage on on the weekend, uh, you, you appreciate it more because you haven't seen all the shots; you've only seen highlights. You know, for a, for a lot of the shots in the first two days. But yeah, it's a. I mean, look, it's it's a tremendous tournament. I know you talked about last week how, how much you were looking forward to it, how maybe that's the closest thing you have to to my opening day. Uh, of baseball and uh and I certainly appreciate uh the history of it and I appreciate how much fans love it and, and I, I love it too. Uh, it's just, just maybe not as much as, as as the masses.
0: Well, let's move on to that. Major League Baseball season started this week. I, I think I know where you're going to go on this on a scale of one to ten. How excited were you about that? Yeah,
1: that's that's a ten. That's tanked all the way. Uh, um. I texted you at some point during the day, and you were embroiled in your uh, Fuente contract coverage, and there was, I think, a couple players left the team. Um, yeah, thanks for on. that, Virginia <laughs> Tech. Of all days, that,
0: you could have, that news could have happened. MLB but opening text- day,
1: come on. <laughs> I cracked the first ale. I, I know I sent you a text when I cracked my first ale. That was like 11, 12 a.m., uh, which I was pretty pleased with. I had some hockey stuff I had to write before I could get going, but um, was able to get into it. About you know around noon, and uh, my kids were home, and they saw the introductions after the you know after they got off the bus around two thirty. Game started at three. It was it was magical. It always is. I, I mean, I hate that I can't be there, but we we do it upright. I mean, we stand for the national anthem. We you know we have every snack under the book. I mean, I, in the book, I went to I went to Kroger. I didn't even go to Food Line. I stepped it up and went to Kroger that has a little better selection here in Bon and and just. Bought every snack they had and uh, ate about the equivalent of five six meals um, during the course of the day, and then of course when that was over, you had um, you had the basketball and stuff, and you had to you had more baseball games in the evening. So it was a wonderful day. Uh, I'm thrilled that it's back.
0: Yeah, how I'm was a, it for you? I'm a ten. You know, if if I had to go higher than that, I would. <laughs> if the scale permitted, it's, this is what I pray. It's like spinal Tap. I turned it to an eleven just for that extra juice. Uh, you know, it's just a great day. It's just good to have baseball. But like, I love everything about it. Uh, I love playing fantasy baseball. So it's nice to have every game going at once. I always hate the thing that they do where they start the season and the next day, like half the teams just take the day off. Like I know they do that for weather reasons or, or something like that, and if they reschedule stuff, but it's just like such a tease that they start the season, then they're like, all right, half the league takes a day off, and the next day the other half of the league takes a day off. It's like just start the season, just go. Like don't don't give this sort of false start that they have on this whole thing. But uh, when it's going and it's on TV, uh, unfortunately the Twins haven't been on TV or haven't been able to to, to catch them uh, on TV so far. It's a it's a really enjoyable thing to watch. Uh, Uh, maybe in the future I will get my daughter into it and she can be standing for the national anthem and stuff right now. She's at daycare. So uh, I don't think they're watching MLB at daycare right now, but she does have a little twins hat. So I'm already trying to uh, ingrain the baseball fandom into her. Uh, I'll make it happen. I'll make it work by the time that she uh, gets old enough to understand what baseball is.
1: Yeah. I'm with you on the whole skipping a day thing. I know you got to protect the integrity of the opening day ticket. And that's why they do it. It's because, you know, you don't want to, if you if you paid premium bucks for that opening day ticket and it gets washed out, you've got to have that second day for those people. You can't just say, well, you get another ticket for some other day. Um, because the opening day is that big of a deal. Um, so, but yeah, it is a long 48-hour wait for that next game after you've gotten so jacked up for the first one.
0: Here's one, this is a little bit off the beaten path. How excited were you when you found out that Tony Romo was retiring?
1: One, I
0: asked this because this, this was the day after the national championship, I think. And after the, the opening day of MLB and I tuned into, you know, these, uh, I I think it was the, 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 that Tuesday, I think it was the day right after I tuned into these uh, sports talk shows thinking they'll talk about this stuff. And all they're talking about is Tony Romo retiring. And I realized the irony of me complaining about this on a podcast in which we talk about football year round, but just give it a break, guys. The NFL, really, this time of year, like with all this stuff going on, that's the biggest story of the day is that Tony Romo is retiring. I mean, he was basically retired last year. He didn't even play. He was never on the field. No, I I would give it a one myself. I thought it was uh, like I, I just did not care <laughs> at all.
1: I, th- I think even the show that you and I both really like, uh, the Dan Levitard show, they spent an entire hour talking about whether he was a Hall of Famer or not. That's still not what they do on that show. But they talk about whether he's a Hall of Famer. And I'm like, oh, I can't even go to this show, which is supposed to be, you know, we don't really talk about sports all that much, or at least not the, the typical first take type of deals. And, and they were arguing over whether he's a Hall of Who cares? Who cares? I'd give that negative numbers if I could. Um, but, you know, I mean, I understand it's the most popular sport in the country and to each his own.
0: I guess it's better than talking about the lead up to the NFL draft, which I just have no appetite for right now. Maybe, maybe once the draft is like right here and happening, but right now it's just all smoke screens and nonsense and people over dissecting college players that played for three or four years. And all of a sudden they have these huge question marks about them as they go into the NFL. I just, this time of year, I just don't like talking about the NFL. I just, just give me a break. Give me MLB, you know, basketball playoffs are heating up. Hockey's heating up here. Uh, I just don't need NFL talk in my life. So with that, I well, will stop, re- I will re- stop the NFL talk of this portion of the
1: podcast. Now go ahead. What were you going to say? Let me. Let, I was just going to add that uh, about the about the time I cracked that first ale on Monday, I tuned in on the TuneIn app to Baltimore Sports Talk Radio because I wanted to hear all the opening day hoopla. You know, and they did have some good guests on. You know, and, and talked about the talked about the game and broke down the lineups and everything. But at one point they. They took a, like a thirty-minute uh, period to talk about some, the running backs in the draft that the Ravens might target, and the, basically the guy just read off some some fight you know how this guy did at the combine, and it's like really like I just I'm not I'm not an NFL hater like I once was like at one point I. Just, why is everything about the NFL, because I, but I but the the fact that we now have more choices and we can kind of tune into whatever it is we want to now, we can get podcasts and things we don't have to listen to, whatever's on twelve forty a.m. in Roanoke, you know we can just dial up whatever we want, so it's not as big of a, a nuisance to me as it once was, but I still get irked when it's not football season and that's that's all you're talking about is you know insignificant. NFL stuff that's just – that's not good radio, I don't think. I don't enjoy it.
0: We say this at full knowledge that we just talked about, Virginia Tech's spring football practice for 30 minutes. That's (laughs) that's different. All right, moving on. The the Final Four uh, championship game, NCAA basketball, Gonzaga-UNC. How excited were you about that on Monday?
1: I'll give that a two, only because I I couldn't stay up to watch the whole thing. I mean, I was – I think it was probably – 14 to 11 or something by the time I started nodding off. Now the ales might have something to do with that. um, But I'm an early riser and uh, 920 on the East coast. That's too late. I'm sorry. You know, you hold it on Sunday. If you're going to do that, you know, or, or, you know, hold it on. uh, Sorry. Hold on Saturday, do Thursday, Saturday, or, or something along those lines where people don't have to go to work in the morning. I didn't, you know, I heard it sucked. I I didn't watch. I didn't watch it. uh, But, you know, the, all the analysis of it was I didn't miss much. I missed a lot of fouls and uh, a lot of um, poor play out of both teams. If gave it anything higher than a two, that'd be, uh, I think, disingenuous because I didn't watch it. If you, how can it be higher than a two if you don't watch it?
0: Yeah, I watched it. You know, I'd, I'd probably say going in, I am probably an eight excited for it. I, you know, it was diminished a little bit because it started so late. It's like, what the heck, guys? Like... I guess before I had a kid I could stay up that late all the time and it was no problem. But Emily had woken up at five AM the previous day, so I was just on fumes at that point. I think I made it till about twelve minutes left in the game and then I nodded off on the couch uh, and I woke up and you know, confetti's falling down and they're congratulating the tar heels. I'm like, I just missed the best part of <laughs> the like there was like, a crucial moment of that game where they sort of turned it around and won it and I missed that whole part. Uh maybe a little bit less uh you know this ha- the same thing happened to me the previous year uh so I was a little more upset about missing that buzzer beater and like the greatest finish to a college basketball game ever uh so yeah this year is where it was a- this foul fest where the the referees kind of took over were calling every single little thing uh in hindsight maybe i would have ranked it as like a-, a 4 or something like that but you know general excitement going in i w- it was an 8 i was i was pretty interested about that i had picked unc to win it uh you know, I wasn't in the pool for any kind of money it was a pride type of thing so I I did win the mini bracket that, that I was in uh by picking UNC to win it but uh that 9:20 start they got to change that man like east coast like most of the people in this country live on the east coast why are you putting it so dang late uh for a start time uh it just seems very cruel to do that for, for that many people that might not make it all the way through like myself
1: well I hope the rating sucked I really do. I hope. I hope they got. They took a bath on the ratings, and I hope they look at it. I mean, the, the World Series has made adjustments. You know, I think the NBA Finals have made adjustments. I mean, they're still late, but they're. I think they're eight fifteen, eight thirty. Something about that nine o'clock hour. Anytime you get after that, it it just feels a lot later, even though it's only you know forty five minutes later or whatever. But it it, it just it fakes it me out as an early riser. So, uh, yeah, I. I I'm sorry. It's, there's only so much excitement you can you can have or anticipation you can have in one day, anyway. And since my my opening day excitement was pegged to a ten, I didn't have much left over for that night. Even if
0: they had started it promptly at nine, like they say nine twenty, I don't even think it started at then. It's like that extra twenty thirty minutes makes a big difference. <laughs> like it's not like you're waiting on a game before, like oh this game before it ran late or something. Like it just started at like eight forty five or nine. The West Coasters can deal with that. They live on the West Coast. They have the beach. They, you know, they don't need to worry about getting back to watch this uh, national championship game. I, I want to do one more uh, thing. It's not a sporting event per se. Uh, one shining moment. What, is, what are your thoughts on one shining moment? On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you every year to see one shining moment?
1: I'll, I'll give that an 8. I, I think uh, I'm a sucker for montages. I love the hype videos they show on stadium video boards before big games, you know, playoff games and baseball or uh, the ones they do, even the ones they do at, uh, you know, Virginia Tech when you're about to come out of the tunnel. Um, those give me juice, man. I love that stuff. And, you know, One Shining Woman is a little bit of a cheesier rendition of that. Uh, it's not uh, jacked up with modern music and, and heavy bass lines and all that stuff, but it's still a montage, and they do a really good job with it. Um, so I'm a fan. I like it.
0: Yeah, I, I think in this sort of jaded sports culture, uh, that can get sort of poo-pooed upon. I think Deadspin did something where they had like the 8-bit uh, video game rendition of, of one shining moment, and then they just showed all the fouls from the game. <laughs> so it was like, you know, one shining moment in reverse. I still like it. I don't know. I kind of look forward to it. It is cheesy. It is cheesy. But it's still like, you know, you still see those uh, buzzer beaters and stuff and the, the greatest moments of the tournament. And this tournament wasn't very exciting for like the first day and a half. And then it sort of, uh, you know, got some juice at there uh, for the last, uh, you know, the second, uh, third rounds and the, the, the next week after that. So, you know, I like it. I think it's a good recap for the tournament. It's a nice little capper to put on the whole thing. Uh, I was maybe more excited about that than the actual game this year when all was said and done. Or if I look back, I think I enjoyed one shiny moment more than I enjoyed the actual championship game. So uh, that's something every year I think is, is very fun to watch this time of year. I think I like it a little bit more than other people do though.
1: I, I didn't get the chance to see it this year. Did Was there any, were there any uh, sad Hokies on there? No, they actually, point?
0: they had buzz. It was, they like cut into buzz doing his little post game talk. Where I forget what the exact message was, but it was like grow from this, take this, and it was the, you know the zoomed in shot of him in the locker room. So it wasn't the actual any game player like that. Uh, you know, I, w- I was happy to see Wisconsin got some love on there. It had the the Nigel Hayes baseline uh, basket against Villanova to win it. Uh, it had the the late sort of off balance three. Uh, that they hit where the guy did the discount double check to Aaron Rodgers in the crowd, but then it also had the Florida running game winning shot that uh, ended Wisconsin's tournament. So that was disappointing from that sense, but uh, pretty, (laughs) pretty good representation for Wisconsin. And then, you know, Buzz got his moment there as well.
1: Well, you knew that Florida shot was coming. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That that
0: That was like the kickoff moment of this. Like, okay, the tournament has started now like that you know, had a crazy finish for once in the, in the tournament. I think up to that point, everybody's buzzer beaters, nothing had gone in to that point. So, so yeah, that was a, that was a, a rough way to, to end one shiny moment or have it in the middle there, but it was still enjoyable.
1: Okay. I've got one for you. If you want to. Yeah, let's reverse it here. Let's do it. Uh, okay. This, this will kill the last of our ratings uh, for for this edition, which I'm sure is, littered with uh, technical errors because of the, of the way we're doing it. And it's entirely my fault. Nobody should blame Andy for this. Because he wanted to do it in the studio, and I was unable to. But uh, your excitement level, your interest level in Mississippi State women beating UConn.
0: You know, that in hindsight, that was very exciting. That was another one of those games that didn't start to like 10 or something like that. I was long asleep when that actually happened. Uh, but I woke up the next day and I've seen all these tweets like, oh, Mississippi State still has to beat Finland. I'm like, what happened last night? Like, so, <laughs> sure enough, they knocked off the Russians. They knocked off UConn uh, in that game. Uh, and I ate it up. I was looking for everything that I could to see what happened and see how the game went and how the final shot went and uh I think when they were making those matchups, they just assumed that nobody was going to want to watch the UConn game because it would have been such a blowout. So they're like, "Oh, let's put the one game that'll be competitive uh, in a TV hour that everybody will watch, and then everybody will watch the beginning of UConn. UConn will blow them off the court, and then uh, you know nobody will watch past midnight." Uh, much to their chagrin, it turns out that was the game of the you know decade. I, I mean, is there a bigger women's? college basketball game or upset i mean i know the hype going in wasn't like that but with the result uh that is like the the biggest moment in college ba- women's college basketball in a while uh to have that streak end and it happened i would assume after midnight well after midnight for most people uh i thought it was a, a an amazing moment uh certainly one of the greatest upsets in in sports history and uh, I'm kind of upset I wasn't awake to see it, but I did get to see it, you know, in this age of Twitter and replay and internet, everything you can find everywhere. Uh, I feel like I got to see it quite a bit. And I did see the, uh, what is it, Titanic Hoops rendition of that. <laughs> they played the Celine <laughs> Dion song to it. I think that that added a little bit to it. That, that was a, a good use of that
1: uh, Twitter account. Yeah, that, well, that's a great follow. Yeah, I love that. I love that account. Uh, yeah, I'd give it a seven, actually. I That was a... Um, there's not a lot of things in sports that that just really make you do a double take, and that was one of them. You know, like wow, I didn't just never in a million years thought to say would lose. Just, and that's kind of sad uh, it, that uh, they they they're just so much better than everybody else. I don't know what the final line off of that game. I you know there they are there are lines on. NCAA I think it was like women. twenty.
0: Yeah, I think it was twenty something. It was yeah.
1: way up there. Yeah, you, you can't set it high enough, usually, because people are just going to run to UConn, and, and rightfully so. Um, so, I mean, I think that adds a little juice to next season, because I think every team that's had, had such a specific task of getting to UConn's level now now feels like, well, at least they can be beat, you know, the Russians cut, that kind of thing. So, uh, that's enough when uh, women's basketball talk. Anything else you want to chat about? No, I don't think, I think maybe we should just cut our losses here before
0: the audio gets so bad on this thing. It'll be an interesting edit. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, if you've listened to this thing so far and you hear some odd edits in there, it's because we had to make do with what we could with the audio, the way it was. We apologize for that, but, uh, we'll get it right in subsequent podcasts here. Get back in the studio with our nice, uh, Nice sound setup that we have there. And, and, you know, hopefully talk a little bit more football next week with, uh, I, I think perhaps the quarterbacks might be available. We'll, we'll find out uh, maybe a little bit more information about that whole quarterback bot battle. So uh, we'll talk more about that next week. For Aaron McFarlane, this is Andy Bitter. We'll talk to you then.